Well, good morning to you. Thank y'all so much for joining us this morning for worship. Let me go ahead and invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. If you don't know where Jonah is, it's beside what I believe is the greatest name in the Bible, which is the name Micah. <laughs> it's right there, still so right to the left of Micah. Maybe one day we'll go to Micah. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so last week, Pastor Stephen closed our sermon series in the Gospel of John. We've been in the Gospel of John for over a year and a half. And so this week, we will begin a brand new sermon series in the book of Jonah for the next five weeks. And as you're turning there, let me just say, if you're here as a guest, if you are watching online, listening to our podcast later on, uh, we just want to say welcome. We're so grateful that you have joined us for worship this morning. It is such an honor to be able to worship with you. Um, so if you're there with me in Jonah, let me go ahead and invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we've already confessed through song, Lord, the purpose of our lives, the purpose for 8 billion people on this planet is to bring you praise, to bring you glory, to bring you honor. Lord, we worship you this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who restores, a God who shows mercy, a God who shows grace and love and compassion. And Lord, we confess that we in ourselves do not deserve such a privilege. So Lord, I pray right now, Lord, in the midst of your people with your word open, God, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord. God, this time, lead this time. I pray this morning that you would tear down barriers in our hearts and lives that take us away from your mission, Lord. Let us see your heart for the nations, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. The story of Jonah is, uh, I would say, one of the most beloved stories in the entire Bible. God's people have reflected, have proclaimed this story throughout the ages, and even Jesus, our Lord himself, mentions this story a few times within his earthly ministry. Uh, this story is a literary masterpiece. It's full of complex comparisons and contrasts and incredible details down to the finest point. One commentator said this week that we could study this book Every day for the next 10 years, we will never get to the depths of the well of riches that's in this story. The story of Jonah is full of drama and action. It's full of hatred and sin and love and judgment and mercy and faithfulness, disobedience, sovereignty and power. This story, we see both man's heart and we see God's heart. This short story is about a man named Jonah. It's about a man named Jonah who runs away from God's command to go and preach to one of Israel's hated enemies. But ultimately, this story is about God. It's about his heart for all the nations in this world, which leads us to the main thing that we'll see for the next five weeks is that the Lord is a God of boundless mercy for all peoples. That's good news this morning. His mercy isn't geographical. It's not ethnical. It's not cultural. God's mercy is towards all peoples. 
And over the next few weeks, we would see just how passionate God is for the nations and how passionate he is for his chosen people to go and share this message. So with that said, let's jump right into our passage this morning. Back at verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So in these first two verses, we see Yahweh, the sovereign God, commanding Jonah to go and warn Assyria, the capital city of Nineveh, of pending judgment. Notice here that the central focus isn't on the messenger, but the message. God is seen here as sovereign and everywhere of the sin of humanity. And his concern, and the concern for this text, is for this guilty city to be warned that their sin isn't unseen. That their sin is about to be dealt with. Now, now from this passage, we know very little about Jonah. Jonah, which translates dove in Hebrew, and son of amity, which translates son of truth or son of my faithfulness, is all we get. But if we go to 2 Kings chapter 14, we get a little bit more information about Jonah. In verse 25 of 2 Kings 14, it says, God restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amity, the prophet, who was from gath Hefer. So Jonah is a prophet. And according to 2 Kings 14, he's successful. He's a respected prophet. Jonah was God's servant. He was called to advance God's kingdom through obedience to his will. Amos 3.7 gives us this idea of what the office of a prophet looked like. It says, The Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So a prophet, as a prophet, he was a man who had insight. He saw the inner parts of who God was. He was divinely commissioned to bring God's people under the practical authority of his word. So, so how then would you assume that God's chosen servant would respond when God commanded him to do something? Obedience, right? You would think he would respond in some way, kind of like Isaiah. Here I am I, send me. Lord, I hear you. I will go do what you've called me to do. That's not what we see, is it? Notice back in verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah, the prophet, runs away. Jonah, the dove, the son of my faithfulness, runs away from God's command. I mean, isn't that my man's job? (laughs) He's called to see the innermost parts of God and go declare what he sees and hears. Why would you do that, Jonah? Why would you run away? And so that's my focus for the next little bit together. Uh, I want us to ask the question, why does Jonah run away from God's command? And here's my challenge for each of us this morning. As we look at this question, as we try to attempt to answer at least briefly, I want to challenge each of us to ask this question to ourselves. Why do I run so often from God's command in my life? Why do we so often run away from God's command in our life? So let's look at at least four reasons why Jonah the prophet ran away from God's 
command. Again, verse 3 says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. First reason Jonah ran from God's command is this. He hated God's message. He hated God's message. Now notice what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he didn't believe God's message. I'm not saying that he disagreed with God's message. What I'm saying is that at the very core of who this man was, he despised what God told him to say. You see, the issue isn't that Jonah didn't understand. Right, like, like if the issue was that he didn't understand and he didn't do it, that's one thing. That's something that's understandable. Right, like parents, if you go home today and you tell your kids to do something and they don't do it, but they come up to you and say, Mom, Dad, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how to do what you're telling me to do. That's just a conversation, right? That's a conversation. You'll sit down with them and say, okay, this is what I mean for you to do. I do this, do this. You'll explain that to them. You'll tell them to do that the way that you would have them to do it. And the same goes with disagreeing. If Jonah disagreed with God about what he said or something that he felt wasn't right, then just based off Psalms and the base of who David was, it's all right to question the Lord. Right? Like over and over, we see David saying, why, Lord? When, Lord? Where, Lord? I'm so tired of this, Lord. This, this doesn't seem right, Lord. That's a biblical response. That's the correct response. It's okay to question and even disagree personally with something you see. But when your disagreeing leads to negative action, that's when it's a problem. That's when it's a problem. The thing about disagreeing is that disagreeing is normally just an expression of words and feelings. Normally, sometimes, well, sometimes it's not the case, but normally a situation that causes disagreement boils over through time. It doesn't really affect our actions and what we do. If I had a disagreement with you this morning about something that we're both passionate about, eventually that conversation said, well, I'll just agree to disagree with you. But you just kind of get over it. You get past it. But that's not what's going on with Jonah. Jo Jonah fully understands what God said. The message is clear, and this is what Jonah says. Yeah, I'm done with that. I'm out. God, I have nothing to do with what you're saying. He runs the other way. Jonah heard what God said. He believed what God said. The issue is that he completely despised what God said. He hated the premise of the message. And this seems such like a contradiction, doesn't it? Jonah, a recipient of God's mercy and love, a servant of God who you would think would love this message, that he would be excited to declare God's message to this city. You would think that he would delight in any moment he had to reflect on this message that he himself was a recipient of. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If we ourselves have experienced the power of God, through the power of the gospel of salvation, we should be all the more boastful in sharing that message of power to others who need that salvation. As a servant of God, you would think that Jonah would love this message, that he would be excited to declare God's message, but he doesn't. With all of the evidence in front of us, it seems, in fact, that he hates the message. He runs away. 
Second reason we see why Jonah ran from God's command is because he was prejudiced towards Assyria. Jonah hated a specific people group because of their beliefs and because of their identity. He hated Assyria. Assyria was the definition of evil. They were the definition of sin. If you go to Nahum 3, you get this small glimpse of what Assyria was like. You see this this people are full of greed and pagan worship and murder and robbery and slavery and fighting and oppression and prostitution, just overall death and despair. These people were completely horrendous. They were so bad that God eventually prophesied that I'm going to completely remove you from the face of this earth. And Jonah hated them for that very reason. But his prejudice goes deeper than just hatred towards Assyria. Jonah also believed that Israel alone should be recipients of God's mercy. He believed that Israel alone should be recipients of God's mercy. Now, this belief isn't new to us if we have read the Bible in the New Testament. This is something that Jesus and even the early church battled consistently. As a national Israelite, Jonah believed that Jews alone were recipients of God's salvation. That if you were to be a recipient of God's saving mercy, one would have to become a Jew. So just let me give you a quick illustration as to uh, this idea of how heavy and unthinkable this command would have been for Jonah when he heard this command from the Lord. So imagine that 1942, a Jewish immigrant in New York City, God speaks to that person in New York City and says, I want you to go back to Nazi Germany right now. And I want you to proclaim the gospel to them. Can you imagine what they would say? Are you serious? Are you serious? I'm not going back there. Do you see what they're doing to my people right now? Do you not see the horrendous acts? Do you not see that they're killing six million people right now? I'm not going back to them. They would respond just like Jonah, wouldn't they? This is what Jonah basically says. Nineveh doesn't deserve God's mercy. They don't deserve your message, Lord. I am not going. He wanted the final say as to who receives mercy or not. Now, from our perspective, we would most likely agree with Jonah. We would say he's right. Nineveh didn't deserve God's mercy. But listen, neither did Jonah. And by the way, neither do we. Brothers and sisters, we've got to be careful with how we view mercy. We've got to be careful with how we speak about mercy. Jonah was right. They didn't deserve mercy. But we didn't either. Jonah was so blinded by his own prejudices that he forgot how God showed Israel mercy when they didn't deserve it. God, through the ministry of Jonah himself, prophesied that Israel would, during his ministry, which was under judgment during Jonah's time, would receive mercy and forgiveness and be restored. And that is exactly what happened. 2 Kings 14, 27 says, But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Though undeserving, Israel received God's mercy and forgiveness because of his grace. And brothers and sisters, the same is true about us this morning. 
Paul says in Ephesians 2.11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh of hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. As believers, we are so quick to cast judgment on other people. We're so quick to look at different people and different groups of people and say, yeah, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve God's mercy. They have no chance. There's no way that God would save them. Look at that lifestyle. Look what they're doing. Look what they believe. We better be careful, church. Because at one time, we were castaways. We were far off. We were separated from Christ. We were strangers to the covenant of promise. We were dead in our sin with no hope, without God. But God, in his mercy, looked down on us in our sinful state. He sent his son to die in our place at the cross. He rose him from the grave. And by his grace, we are now righteous, forgiven, restored, and adopted into his family. We didn't deserve God's mercy, but God in his infinite grace chose to save us. So next time you see someone or a group of people who you don't think deserve God's mercy, remember what God did for you. Jonah lost sight of this. Instead of remembering his own sinful state and God's mercy towards himself, he allowed his own prejudice and hatred towards Assyria to affect his obedience to God's command. Instead of going and proclaiming mercy to his enemy, he ran away. Third reason why Jonah ran from God's command. He knew that God would be consistent with his own character. He knew God would be consistent with his own character. Go with me to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah here speaking. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. As a prophet again, Jonah knows the very character of God. He has insight into the very person and plans for God. And this is what Jonah knows. He knows that God can't contradict himself. He can't say he is something and be something else. He, God is gracious. He is merciful. He is relenting. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is at his core. That's his attributes. It's what makes up God. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even though we're flaky, even though we're inconsistent, God never is and never will be. He is sovereign, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God at his core is merciful. He is gracious. That's just who he is. And Jonah knows if he goes to Nineveh and proclaims this message of warning, he knows that God can't deny himself. He can't. It's impossible. 
If judgment and warning is proclaimed, God will be faithful to his character and show these Ninevites mercy and forgiveness. This is total opposite of what Jonah wishes to take place. He hopes that the Ninevites are destroyed. He hopes that they are placed under judgment. He wants them gone. And because of his knowledge of God, he doesn't even want to take a chance to go to Nineveh for God to be exactly who he is. Jonah runs away because of his theology. By the way, that's bad theology. That's bad theology. You see, if our beliefs and knowledge of God is a barrier to our faithfulness to God's mission, that's a problem. No, our theology should be the very engine, the centerpiece that fuels our passion to go for Him. If you have experienced the power of God and you're learning about Him and growing in Him, the real response should be worship. It it should be boasting. It should be bragging. We should be excited to tell others about Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ should never be the most shy people in the world. It should be the most boastful, the most proclaiming people in this entire world. We shouldn't be quiet about the gospel. We should be passionate about sharing Jesus. Why? Because we've experienced the love and joy of Jesus. We want other people to experience the love and joy of Jesus. Jonah had bad theology. His knowledge of God led him to run away from God's mission instead of embracing it. And brothers and sisters, our theology shouldn't always be a bunch of no's. Yes, there is times and places to be safe and cautious, but the very heartbeat of the gospel message is a massive yes in Christ. So often we have, through the past six years, we have shared mission and ministry ideas, and it never fails. There's always people who come up to us and be like, I just can't do that, Pastor. I don't know about that. I don't think that's going to work out. I don't know if that's right or not. Church, our knowledge of God, the very truths and doctrines we hold so dear should be a catapult for your service to the Lord, not a barrier. Your knowledge shouldn't leave you stuck in the mud, not willing to get out and do anything. Your knowledge and belief should burn a passionate fire in your heart for the mission and ministry of God. This is to the fourth reason why Jonah ran from God's command. It's because he wanted to escape God's command and never hear about it again. He wanted to escape God's command and never hear about it again. Go with me again back to verse 3. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to say a few notes, and I'm going to go off my notes here. This is always a dangerous thing, but I think this is the illustration to be super helpful for us this morning. Notice a few things with me in verse 3. Jonah is commanded to rise and go west towards Nineveh. He rises and runs east to Tarshish. Notice that if he goes to Nineveh, God's presence will be with him. But he rises, and he tries to run away from God's presence. That's the last few things I'm going to say before I do my illustration. Jonah's a prophet. He would know Psalm 139. It's impossible to run away from an omnipresent God. It's impossible. You can't run away from a God who's everywhere. 
Jonah here is not trying to run away from God. He's trying to run away from his message. And the last little thing I want to what you see, the word Tarshish there is disputed. People don't know where Tarshish really is, but most would agree that it would represent the farther parts of the Mediterranean Sea. Most would say even maybe borders of Spain. The whole point is this way out there. It's way far, okay? Jonah, during Jonah's time, to hear from the Lord, in most cases, um, either you had to be in the land of Israel or at the place where God's people were present, okay? So let me give this illustration. This, is, this came to me this morning. So imagine Jonah is just doing his thing everyday life and all of a sudden this little thought comes into his mind what about those people of Nineveh they're wicked I should go proclaim God's mercy to them and all of a sudden he starts freaking out hold up I can't do that I hate those people what would my fellow brothers and sisters think about that so he starts freaking out and he starts putting his clothes into his suitcase and he's like, okay, the Lord told me to get up and go to Nineveh. I'm going to get up and do something totally opposite. I'm going to pat my clothes. He locked the deadbolt. Hello. We forget that all the time in our trips. <laughs> he locks his deadbolt. He runs. He says, I'm going to go to Joppa. Now, Joppa was a place where often goods would come in for the country of Israel. It was in the eastern borders of Palestine and it's a port city and he goes to Joppa and he's hoping he might find a group of people who in most cases weren't believers of Israel, who weren't believers of Yahweh, who are pagan worshipers. We see that later on in the story. He hopes he can find a crew who might be going somewhere totally opposite of Nineveh. So he runs down to Nineveh and he starts frantically just running around and panicking. Hey, where are you going? Where's your crew going? Ah, oh, we're going here. Ah, that ain't good enough. He finally finds this little crew. He says, oh yeah, we're going eastern part of Mediterranean Sea way out there. It's going to be a long trip. Jonah says, that's perfect. That's perfect. Hey, hey, if I pay my way, can I just join your crew? And the guy, don't, You don't have to worry about me. I'll just pay my way. I'll get on your boat. And can I just go with you? Yeah, man. Hey, what are you running? What, what, what are you so panicking about? What are you freaking out about? Oh, I'm just running away from something. If you notice there, actually even down... Uh, down in verse, uh, verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid. The storm happens. Each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea and lightened, to lighten it up, lighten it for them. But notice what Jonah's doing. Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah's plan, Jonah's thought was that, man, I am good now. There is no way God's going to bring that command up to me again. There's no way that thought's going to come to my mind that I can go to Nineveh. No, if I'm away from God's people, if I'm away from, from the land of Israel, he's not going to speak to me again. He is so content with his decision, he's sleeping. And by the way, we're not much different, are we? 
We might not be as crazy as Jonah and literally get like a plane ticket and go to a different country to run away from God's calling, God's commands. But we do the same thing. We often sit around and we hear God's command to us and there's this random thought. Man, there's a lot of homeless people around me. I might just start a homeless shelter. I got a lost neighbor. I might should go speak to him. This happened to me. I was in Western Carolina. I lasted five weeks, so I wasn't a long person there, but God just put in my heart. You don't know much about my word. A lot of your friends, we're not really in the Bible. We need a Bible study back home. At first, just like Jonah, I'm making excuses, man. Well, I can't just leave Western. I've paid all this money, and, you know, I need to pursue something. I need to have a living. God wouldn't let go. He wouldn't let go. And your excuses might be total opposite. Our excuses could be hobbies. It could be sports. It could be family time. All were good things, but most of the time, if we're not careful, our excuses for things, and it keeps us away from the things God is commanding us to do. Can I encourage you this morning? Quit trying to run. Quit building up objections. Quit making excuses. What Jonah will learn over these next five weeks and what God is showing us this morning is that it's impossible to run away from his commands. Despite our personal objections and despite our personal attempts to run away, God's purposes will be accomplished. God's, God commands us to obey and follow him. So what? I've got two questions for us this morning. The first is, how obedient are you with what God is commanding you to do? How obedient are you with what God is commanding you to do? This morning, if you are in Christ, you, like Jonah, are sons and daughters of God's faithfulness. You've been adopted, you've been forgiven, you've been ransomed, you've been born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 6 says this, we are now slaves to God. We belong to God. He has bought us with a great price. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. You see, as Christ followers, we have been given the same command that Jonah received. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19-20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We, like Jonah, have been commanded to arise, go and preach. Arise, go to undeserving people who don't know anything about the mercy of God and preach his good news. There isn't a second option this morning, church. There's not a plan B. Jesus, our Lord, has commanded us to take his message and be heralds of the gospel to all peoples of the world. And that includes those who you personally don't think deserve to hear that message. Jesus says to follow him to make disciples in his name despite your prejudice, despite your objections. He wants to see people believe in him and grow and mature in him. How obedient are you to his mission? But let me just dig a little deeper. How obedient are you to what God is commanding you to do each day of your life? 
How obedient are you to what God is commanding you to do each day of your life? So our daughter, she's six months old. She's back there. I'm amazed that she has not spoke or said something at this point. <laughs> she's six months as of yesterday, and I remember the first few weeks we had her, and many of you and, and many of our friends just reached out and said, hey, man, how are you doing? How's, how's the baby? And, and I was just honest, which some, makes people, some people uncomfortable. I said, man, I'm not going to lie. I'm panicking. I'm freaking out. I can't believe God has let me be over a be responsible for another human being, man. I'm not even responsible for myself. And, and it was amazing. Two different people, different way of saying it, the same message, just texted me and said, listen, God knows your heart. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows who you are. He has chose to allow you to be a father for such a time as this, so embrace it. Embrace it. If God has called you to be a mom or dad this morning, can I just give you the same encouragement today? Embrace it. If God's called you to be a kid, a student, a friend, embrace it. If God's called you to be a worker, a boss, a business owner, embrace it. Let's dig even deeper. Let's think about the church. If God has called you to be a deacon, an elder, someone in church leadership, a church member, embrace it. Kids workers, kids leaders, worship leaders, production teams, small group leaders, small group members, creatives, artists, and writers, and bloggers, and chefs, and photographers. Whatever God has called and gifted you to do, embrace it. One of the most profound things I heard when it was about the time Esther was born, I was listening to a podcast about dads, and one of my favorite worship leaders was on there, and he said that the most profound thing came to him when he was holding his, their first child in, in the hospital. He said, he looked down at the little baby's face and said, the, the craziest thought came to my mind. He said, out of everything in this life, one thing that will never change is that I will always be that little girl's daddy. It'll never, forever, I'll always be my daughter's daddy. Even if I'm a bum, he said, even if I ran away tomorrow, that'll never change the fact that he would always be that little girl's daddy. Brothers and sisters, the same thing is true about the things God has called you to be in your life. You're not just an engineer while you're at work. You're not just a parent when you're at home. We wish that was true, but you're just not. The same is true about your calling and work within the church. If God's called you to a position of area ministry in the church, for instance, deacons, elders, you're always a deacon or elder. You can't escape the call. You can't go home and turn off the switch and say, well, I'm not an elder at home. You're always an elder. You can't not be something that God has declared you to be. Brothers and sisters, embrace God's calling and commands in your life. He knows your hearts. He knows your circumstances. He knows your weaknesses and strengths. And through all that, he still has looked down and has gifted you and placed you and called you to be exactly who he wants you to be. Don't want you to be. So just embrace it. Second question, and I'm done. Who is your Nineveh? Who is your Nineveh? For Jonah, Nineveh was a group of people who he hated. And he thought was undeserving of God's mercy. He allowed his prejudice and his objections lead him to disobey God's command to go and share that message. So can I ask you the question, who is your Nineveh? Who's your Nineveh? 
Who's the person you purposely ignore? The person or group that you despise? Who do you look at with shame? Who do you look at with hatred and disgust? The person or group that you believe is undeserving of God's mercy and that who you would never go towards. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43, you have heard it that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Our love for others is both a command and fruit from the Lord himself. Say that again, that's worth saying. Our Lord, our love for others is both a command and fruit from the Lord himself. To say that you hate someone or to be prejudiced towards someone is not Christian. It isn't the fruit of being a child of the living God. Jesus says we are to love not just our close friends or those who are most like us. No, he says love our enemies as well. Love those who are different than ourselves. Love those who have different political beliefs than ourselves. Love those with different beliefs, different ideologies, and even different sexual preferences. Our love for all people should be the same. The greatest command that we have is to love God and love others. Jesus says, one way to know if you love God is if you love others. If you have experienced the love of Christ, you are to display that love to all peoples in this world. And it's true, as believers, we should hate sin. We should want it completely removed this world. The things that we see in this world right now should absolutely devastate us. But listen, hating sin does not mean hating people. All peoples in this world deserve to hear that there is a God who is gracious and boundless and unfailing love. Amen? They deserve to hear the greatest news in the world, that there is hope and life and salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So church, my prayer this morning is that despite our objections, despite our prejudice, despite our selfishness and pride, that we as God's chosen people bought with his sons on blood would be a people who pursued those who were different than ourselves. That, that we would love all peoples in this world and that we would declare the message of God's mercy to those outside of Christ, even those who we personally don't think deserve to hear that message. Let's pray. As we pray um, this morning, you, like myself, might have had people, specific people, people groups, who you might feel the same as Jonah did with Nineveh. Here's my encouragement for you this morning as we pray, as we enter God's presence through prayer and through song. If you have people in your mind and heart that you just despise, man, that you object, that maybe people who you just look over all the time and just don't care about. Lay that for the Lord this morning. Repent from it, turn from it. Give it to the Lord. Remove those objections in your heart. Let's pray. Father, this morning we again are amazed and astounded by your grace and mercy that while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die on our behalf. Lord, we praise you that you are a God of the nations. That you care about people's hearts, that you care about people's worship. And Lord, would you forgive us this morning? 
of the objections and, and, and hatred that's in our hearts so often towards other people. God, remove that today. Wash it clean. But I pray you would place a passionate fuel in our hearts to love you with everything that we are and love people as ourselves, Lord. To love to show your mercy to all peoples, God. Father, I pray for those in this room who don't know you, who've never experienced the mercy that we've been talking about this morning. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, open their eyes. Bring repentance, bring salvation, bring joy in the name of Jesus, Lord. So Father, now as we respond and worship through song, that we just surrender our lives to you. Lay those things that so often are objections in our heart. And God, may we just be passionate people for your name. In Jesus' name, amen.